Hey, good morning, everybody. And happy new year. Oh, man, that was so weak. Happy new year. Happy new year. Ah, that wasn't so hard, was it? Hey, uh, wherever you are, however you're joining us this morning, thank you, thank you for being here. I, and I, I, love, I love the gift of music. I love the gift of the gospel that we experience in, in so many songs. In that last song, if you, if you get nothing else out of today but that one line, you turn graves into gardens, you're the only one who can. If you can walk away with that one thing and hold on to that today, it's going to be a good day for you. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to actually get to be around people. My, my wife and my kids and I, we wrapped up last year in, in fitting 2020 fashion in quarantine because uh, we all ended up uh, with the virus. Uh, but fortunately, we got through it. Um, most of us didn't really have too many troubles. My wife had a, she had a rough bout with it, but she's, she's on the mend as well. And so it's, it's good to be uh, with, with people and, and get to see all you guys. So... Quick show of hands. Who is sad to see last year go? Who is sad to see 2020 go away? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. That's, that's kind of what I thought. We, we lived through a pretty historic year, didn't we? Uh, and, and a challenge one, challenging one for sure. But I don't want us to move too quickly into the new year without asking a few questions, without having a few reflective thoughts. So before we jump into the new year, I want to have a quick year interview. Look over last year, just the uh, high points. Because it was, it was a, uh, a pretty big year for a number of reasons. Uh, unfortunately, last year was a historic year for, for wildfires at the beginning of the year. You remember in Australia, it was pretty rough, and even here in the U.S. Uh, also in January, tensions reached a new high between the United States and Iran. Of course, we all know what March brought us. And then there was the, the pending uh, economic collapse that followed. In April, gas prices actually hit negative for the first time ever. And then there was uh, a collective social unrest in May. And then, of course, there was the, the second wave of the virus. There was this massive, catastrophic accidental explosion in Beirut. There was the, the political divide that, that accompanied the presidential election. And then there was the third wave of the virus. It was a challenging year. So <clears throat> I, I, I get it. I get it when, when people are say, say they're excited to see the year go away. And not even just corporately, but personally speaking, I, I had some, some tough times this past year. I experienced this year arguably one of the most difficult moments in my professional career as a pastor, almost a year ago to date, the most difficult day, as I, as I walked into a hospital room and I, I tried desperately to keep it together as one of my very dear friends collapsed in my arms because they were going through immeasurable grief as they were having to say goodbye to their little one way too soon. Yeah, grief, tragedy, pain, it, it, it wasn't on short supply last year. It wasn't. So I get it. I get it if you say, man, let's just, let's just turn the page, let's get to the new year. But before we do that, I, just, I think it's helpful to ask, what, what did you learn? What did you learn this year? 
What did the year's challenges teach you about yourself? I, I can tell you, some of the things that I learned, I learned there are some phrases that I absolutely hate. I cannot stand the phrase, the new normal, or social distance, or pivot, or sorry, we're out of toilet paper. And my, my least favorite of all, if you've had to do a number of meetings, you've experienced this a lot. Hey, you're on mute. You know what I'm talking about, right? I, it, it drives me nuts. But what about you? What did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? Did, did, you, did you grow anywhere? Did you learn anything about your, your journey with God? Or were you too anxious to step into the new year that yet you haven't paused to think about it? If that's you, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but just because it's a new year doesn't magically make things get better on their own. Just quick show of hands, how many Dallas Cowboys fans do I have in the house? Any Cowboys fans? Where are my fellow Cowboys fans? Okay, all of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the new year doesn't make things ever, you know, always get better. <laughs> We've been living the same nightmare since 1996. <laughs> this is what I learned. I learned that grace, the ability to recognize God's grace, regardless of the surrounding chaos, this could be the most useful spiritual and social skill. As we look over 2020 in review, do you only see the hardships, the challenges, the tragedies? Or can you also see the victories, the way that God worked through the chaos? If we only see the bad and we miss the good, then we miss the full experience of the cross. See, the evil of the world created the cross, but the grace of God redeemed it. If when we look back, all we see is the bad, the evil, then guess what? Evil wins. Sin wins. Brokenness wins. But when we look back and we look through the lens of God's grace, then we open ourselves to the possibility of redemption. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that uh, a new year is upon us, and with a new year comes new possibilities, new life, new opportunities. That the old is gone, the new has come. But Father, amidst all of the change, everything that has been unsettled, everything that is, that is precarious, everything that is that's just not stable, we're reminded of the one constant in our world, and that is you. And that is your grace, that is your love. And where there is your grace and your love, there is always hope. And for those things, we say thank you. And we ask you to show us what it means to live into that reality today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 20. Now, in, in this section of Matthew, Jesus is telling a number of stories. And they're stories that, that I like to call them shock stories, shock value stories. He's, he's telling these stories because there's a little bit of a shock value to them. They're teaching important lessons, but along the way, he's, he's trying to scandalize the, the listening audience. And then in chapter 20, this story here, the laborers in the vineyard, it, it's no different. So he begins... 
It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So right away, he begins with a shocking statement that the master of the house is going out to hire the workers. Look, this sort of thing, it, just, it wasn't done then. It, it's not done now. How many CEOs of major companies do you know will go out and hire temporary work and do it themselves? They don't do that. But here, the master is going out and doing it himself. So the master, he finds some workers at the beginning of the day, and they agree on a wage, one denarius for the day's work. Then the master goes back at the third hour, and the sixth hour, and the ninth hour. And he finds workers, and he tells them. He says he will pay them whatever is right. We don't get a specific wage, just, just that phrase, whatever is right. You see, Jesus, he's, he's a good storyteller. He, he gives you some specific details in the beginning, but as the story trucks along, he, he holds back some key details. And he does that because he's setting up these little traps, these little landmines for, for people to walk into, into his story so they can come up with their own idea about what's, what's going to happen. Well, the story continues. At the 11th hour, there in verse 6, the master goes out again and finds people still waiting for work. And he says, hey, why have you been idle all day? And they say, well, nobody's hired us yet. And so the master says, okay, come on, come, come work in my field. End of the work day comes. And the master, he tells his foreman, okay, go pay the workers, starting with the people that I just hired at the 11th hour. Once again kind of pushing back from what was expected. And so the foreman goes to pay the workers who were hired at the 11th hour. And at that point, we finally get the answer to whatever is right. The workers that he just hired working one hour, he pays them a full denarius. Once again, another shocking development. Well, the guys that were hired at the beginning of the day, the ones that had worked the whole day, they see this. What are they thinking? They're thinking, whoa, he paid them a full denarius for just one hour of work. We worked the whole day. Surely, we're going to get more, right? Look what happens. Verse 10. The workers who worked all day, guess what they get? They get one denarius. They get paid the same. How do you like that? That doesn't sound fair, does it? And why? Why does that not sound fair? Because you see, unlike the kingdom of God, in your notes, number one, we live in the comparison trap. Things in our world, they, they only have value when compared to other things or how rare they are. That the higher the supply, the lower the demand. Let's go back 10 years. We just, just got through the Christmas season. Let's go back 10 years ago and, and look at what, what the most sought after Christmas gifts of 2010 were. Any guesses? Here's the first one. What'd you say? Xbox. Very good. So we have the iPhone 4, and then the second one? It's the Xbox 360. Ten years ago, you couldn't keep these things on the shelves. Man, they were flying off the shelves as fast as they were putting them up there. What about now? What's their value now? I bet... I could take those two items, sit them on my front porch, put a big sign behind it that says free, and a week later, I bet it's still there. You can't give it away now. You see, the workers 
who were hired at the beginning of the day, they were excited because they had received something that nobody else in their circle had received, the opportunity to work, the opportunity to earn a wage. But what happened to their excitement when everybody else in their circle got the same thing that they got? How would you respond? Well, they were mad. And why were they mad? Why were they mad? Take a look there at verse 12. What do they say? They say, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us. There it is. They were mad because others were made equal to them, and they didn't like it. I think this is one of the most difficult things that we struggle to understand about the grace of God. The grace of God is the great equalizer. I hear this often. I, I pray all the time. I'm in the word every day. I tithe. I never miss church. So why did my spouse leave me? Why did I lose my job? Why did the test results come back positive? Whether we admit it or not, sometimes we think God's grace is directly related to our level of obedience. But here's the problem with that. If we view God's grace as God's response to our good behavior, then guess what? It's no longer grace. In your notes, number two, grace that is calculated or earned is no longer grace. This is something we, we all struggle with. If you do something nice for somebody once, they're surprised. If you do it for them twice, they love you for it. But if you do it a third time, you better be prepared to do it a fourth time because you've just set up an expectation. We all struggle with this, right? So I remember a few years ago, it was about seven years ago, there was a man in the church, he would come up every Monday during the summer, and he would drop off free donuts. And that was when my son was six years old, and he would come with me to work sometimes uh, during the summer. Well, we show up that first Monday, and we've got no expectations. And we walk in, and there's donuts. And we're stoked, we're like, all right, free donuts. Second Monday, we show up, still not expecting anything. And donuts are there. And once again, we are excited. Third Monday, we walk in, kind of sort of expecting donuts, not sure. We show up, and again, there's donuts. Three Mondays in a row, donuts every Monday. So what do you think me and Aiden were expecting on that fourth Monday? Donuts, right? Because it was Monday, and that's what Monday means. Monday means free donuts. We walk in, no donuts. We were both like, what? Where's the donuts? Come on. And it took me a moment to realize what I was doing. This is something we all have to guard against. Our expectations of God's grace to treat it as though it's something we deserve. I want you to write this down because I think this is really important. Continued grace turns into expected grace, which leads to entitled grace. And once again, it's no longer grace at all. 
This is where we say things like, God, you owe me. I've been faithful all these years. And when our conversations with God turn into this, we rob ourselves completely of experiencing God's grace. And we don't even know it's happening. But when we do this, we start to become spiritually blind. We start to train our eyes to only look for certain things and ignore the others. Think about people who are always in a state of despair, who always feel like the world is out to get them, where nothing ever seems to go right in their world. This is what I've noticed about these people. These are the people, they wake up every day looking to see what's going to go wrong for them on that day. And guess what? They find what they're looking for. But they also miss so much of their world. They miss everything that went right in their world because they weren't looking for it. Or, in some cases, they choose to ignore it because it doesn't fit within their lens, within their narrative of expectation. You know who I'm talking about, right? You know this type of person. The one you ask them about their day. This is what you get. My alarm didn't go off this morning, so I woke up late. And wouldn't you know it, that would be the day that I'd get a flat tire on my way to work. So I was really late to work. And if that wasn't bad enough, my boss made me stay late because there were some things that that just had to get done on that day. You, You know what I'm talking about. When you ask a person about their day, this is what they do. They give you the highlight reel for their day, for everything that went wrong. They're viewing their lives through the victim lens. But people who understand what God's grace is about, that it it is not something that functions in comparisons or competitions. That's not how they talk. Here's the same story spoken by somebody who's not using the victim lens. They're using the grace lens. This is, you ask them about their day, and this is what you hear. My alarm didn't go off this morning, so I woke up late. But thank God my spouse woke me up. Otherwise, I'd really be late. And wouldn't you know it, that was the day I got a flat tire on my way to work. But thank God that kind person stopped to help me change the tire. They helped me make a good experience out of a bad one. And I had to stay late at work today to get some important things done. Thank God I've got a job where I'm needed and I'm valued. Do you see the difference in these two stories? Same story, but two very different experiences, two very different lenses. In your notes, number four, people who have been transformed by God's grace will look for what's been given to them, not what's been taken away. So as you look back, as you look back on last year, what sort of lens are you looking through? Are you looking through the grace lens or are you looking through the victim lens? How quickly could you jot down a list of moments where you experienced God's grace in your life last year? Could you do it? I want to give you some of mine. This is, this is my year 
in review. It was a challenging year. It was a difficult year. But when you ask me, hey, Chris, hey, tell me about 2020. Tell me about that year for you. This is what I'm going to tell you. My son, he turned 13 this year. And we got to celebrate by going on a really cool hunting trip. My whole family, we all got to go on this odd dad hunting trip. And it was a blast. Also this year, my wife and I, we celebrated 10 years of marriage. 10 years of being married to the most beautiful woman in my world. 10 years of experiencing God's grace through her, the fact that she's put up with all of my weird behaviors, my intricacies, my OCDs, so many, so many things that she has to deal with being married to me, and, and she's done it, 10 years. And then back in February, before everything shut down, I got to go have a daddy-daughter date slash dance with my Ava that her school put on, and we had a blast. It's a night that I'm, I'm never going to forget. And then Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving looked very different this year, of course. But in spite of all of the differences, I still got the opportunity for me and my brothers and our kids to go and see my granddad, my hero. We stayed at a safe distance, but we still got to see him. I still got to tell him, happy Thanksgiving. I still got to tell him, hey, Papa, I love you. He's 97 years old. And so I know every Thanksgiving with him is because of God's grace. And not just personally speaking, as a church, corporately, how we have experienced the grace of God this past year. Did you know 1,300 pounds of food was donated last year to feed the hungry from the community garden alone? Not to mention that just how many red bags have been given throughout the year. For the first time, small groups and Bible classes, they're, they're figuring out how to stay connected online, how to continue to function, how to continue to develop spiritually, to grow spiritually in spite of all of the challenges. And for years, the two biggest obstacles for people being a part of a small group or a Bible class was time and geography. And because of the gifts of the technology and the Word, those two obstacles have been removed. Or how about this? A year when so many months our doors were closed on the weekend, we couldn't, we couldn't allow people in. In spite of all of that, we still had 28 professions of faith, 28 yeses to Jesus. I want you to think about that. 28 lives transformed by the grace of God. Or how about this? In a divided world, in a diverse church community such as this, with so many different theologies and different political persuasions, different opinions, surrounded by a context that, sells, that, that tells us by all rights, we should be divided. We should not all be in church together. We don't all think the same thing. We don't all believe the same thing. We don't all look the same way. We shouldn't be in the same building together. In spite of that, we are more united now than we've ever been. All one church family, all in need of the grace of God. And so many other stories and moments that I remember when I step up here and I look out and I see some of you. I remember your story. 
I remember your pain, your grief, your tragedy. That you allow God's grace to enter and to experience redemption because of it. Evil created the pain of the cross, but God's grace redeemed it. Evil created the pain of 2020, but guess what? God's grace is redeeming it. The question is, did you see it? Or did your victim lens keep you from seeing it? Could you come up with your own list, your own year in review, your own list of moments where you experienced God's grace? Could you do it? I want to invite you to do that this week. Use your life steps each day. It's there for you to write down a different moment over last year where you experienced the grace of God in a transforming, powerful way. Please do that. Write it down physically. Do it before you have a chance to forget this is why I think this is so important. How we view the past, it says everything about how we view the future. If we look over the past through the lens of negativity, through the victim lens, guess what? Guess what we're bringing with us into the new year? That same victim mentality, that same lens is coming with us. Yeah, we, we might have a couple of weeks of, of newness, of euphoria, of, oh, finally, it's a new year. But the first thing that goes wrong, what are we going to do? <sighs> Here we go again. I heard so many people last year saying, come on, come on, 2021. The new year doesn't magically change life. It doesn't. Illness, tragedy, grief, these things, they... They don't respond to the changing of the calendar quite like we do. Life doesn't magically get better overnight on its own. That's just, that's not how it works. But if we can learn to view our past through the lens of God's grace, to get better at recognizing God's blessings in our lives, in full view of the pain, then it changes everything about our future. In your notes, number five, people who look back through the lens of grace are the ones who look forward through the lens of hope. The better we are at recognizing what God has given us rather than what life has taken away from us, we start to get a better outlook moving forward. We become less cynical. We become less pessimistic. But the more we play the victim, guess what? That's probably all we're going to notice moving forward. These workers, the ones that were hired at the beginning of the day, the ones that were grumbling with the master, they began that day, they woke up that morning hoping for just one thing, just one thing. What were they hoping for? To be hired, to get the job, to have the opportunity to earn a day's wage to provide for their family. And guess what? There was no guarantee that they were going to be hired. But because of grace, they got the job. But at the end of the day, did they sound like somebody who had experienced grace? Uh-uh. No, they, they sounded like the victim. Imagine what their story sounded like when they went home. Man, you're not going to believe this. Went out to the field to work, and it was brutal. 
you would not believe the heat. Right? We, we stuck it out. We did it anyway. We did it. But if that wasn't bad enough, at the end of the day, the master, he goes and he hires other people. They only work one hour. And guess what? He, they, they got the same as we got. He paid them the same as much as he paid us. That's not fair at all. I just, I can't catch a break. This type of thing, it, it always happens to me. But I like to think, and call it optimism, but I like to think there was one person in that group who was hired at the beginning of the day that when they went home, this was the story that they told. Hey, you're not going to believe this. I went out to the field looking for work, and guess what? I got the job. I got it. This master, he hired me to go work his vineyards, and he promised to pay me one denarius for the day's work. And guess what? At the end of the day, he was good to his word. He paid me exactly what he told me he was going to pay me. And it, yeah, it was a hot day, but I was happy to have the work. I was going to be in the heat anyway. At least today, I was paid for it. Today, I had a purpose. And at the end of the day, the master, he went out and brought in more workers to help work the field. He's a good man. He helped a lot of people find work today. I hope I get to work for him tomorrow. Very different story, isn't it? So which person do you want to be this year? Do you want to be the person looking forward through the lens of hope? Someone who believes the best is yet to come. Or the person who lives in cynicism. The person who views life through the victim lens. The person who plays the victim every day. The lens we use for looking back over yesterday says everything about how we see tomorrow. Does this mean we have to ignore the pain? or the challenges, or the tragedies of last year. Not at all. You see, looking through the grace lens, it's not, not, it's not the same thing as looking through rose-colored glasses. They're only having to tell part of the story. There's two things I want to invite you to do. The first is this, is to go through the year and recognize all of your victories, all of the moments where you experience God's grace. But the second is this. I want to invite you to connect with the pain, the grief, the tragedy of last year. And I want to invite you to let God write the redemption story of your pain. You see, grace and redemption, grace and hope, these things, they work together. I, I had a conversation with, with my, my dear friend, the one that I, I talked about at the beginning, the one who, who lost her daughter, who experienced immeasurable grief. I asked her, I said, what do, you, what do you hope for this year? Are you able to see any victory through your grief? You know what she says? And I quote, victory always. Everything is a victory now, right? I say, well, tell me about grace. How are you understanding grace in full view of your pain? 
She says everything. Everything is by the grace of God. Every little thing is God. Every part of the story, every part of it, otherwise I wouldn't be here. The way the world saw God, whether they believed or not, the way my daughter literally changed the sky for people, the way people think of her when they hear of God, the way they think of God when they think of her. Grace is everywhere. You want to know what it looks like to look through life with the lens of God's grace? That's it. And because of that, she's looking forward through the lens of hope. And she's somebody that I don't have to worry about, that I know is going to be okay. How different would the cross be if Jesus hadn't invited God to write the redemption story for his pain? If Jesus had hung on the cross, hurling insults at the people who put him up there, cursing his Father in heaven for allowing it to happen, blaming God, blaming people, how different would our world be? And he doesn't do that. He begins with grace. Father, forgive them. And then he invites God to write the redemption story for his pain. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Grace leads to redemption, which leads to the possibility of hope. Let this year be the year that you invite God into the redemption of your pain. Your tragedy, your past defeats, they turn into future victories because of the grace of God. Evil, the evil of the world created the pain of the cross, but God's grace redeemed it. I want to invite you, go to your Bibles to Philippians 1.6, and I want to invite you to begin the year by memorizing a verse. And maybe you've already got this verse memorized. Philippians 1.6, I want you to underline it in your Bibles. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Underline that verse, circle that word will, highlight that word will, whatever you need to do, and you pay attention to it. And you memorize that verse, and you hold on to it, and it becomes your mantra. And the next defeat you experience, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Every time you remember your pain, the pain of your past, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When depression starts to sneak in, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Every time the world kicks you down, pushes you around, tells you there's no reason to hope that all is lost when the headlines preach a gospel of despair and fear. When the world tells you it doesn't make sense, why believe? Look around you, what do you see? Death, tragedy, illness. 
throw away the victim lens, you put on the grace lens. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, that's why this table is so important. This table is what it looks like to allow God to write the redemption story for your pain. Because it's exactly what Jesus did. When he took the bread and he broke it, he turns to God in trust and says, Father, this is my pain that I'm giving to you to do with whatever you will. And he took the cup. His pending defeat. And he turns to God and says, God, here is my defeat. Turn it into victory. And that's why we meet at the table. We come here to remember what was done so many years ago, but we come here also to remember what God continues to do because God keeps writing redemption stories every day. So what story is he writing for you today? What pain, what grief, what tragedy are you bringing with you to the table? And make no mistake, we are all invited to this table. Why are we all invited? Because everybody knows pain. Everybody knows grief. Everybody has experienced tragedy. Everybody is in need of grace, is in need of redemption. And we find those things here at this table. So I want to invite you to connect with that moment. I want you to be still and reflect and think about that moment the moment of pain, of grief, of loss, of uncertainty, of instability, whatever it is, imagine it in your hands. And as we partake of the elements, I want to I invite you to just imagine opening it up. Maybe you're not ready to fully give it away, but at least you're opening it up. And as you open it up, what you're saying is, God, I'm inviting you to write the redemption story for this pain. I'm inviting you to help me turn this defeat into a future victory. Father God, we thank you for what this table represents, what this table reminds us of. It reminds us of grace, of redemption, and of hope because we experience them all here at this table. We thank you for what you accomplished so many years ago and what you continue to accomplish, whether we see it or not, Father, as we, as we come to the table, as we reflect, as we remember, Father, show us what it means to put on the lens of grace that we experience through you every day. In your son's name, amen. So I want to invite you all now to grab the bread wherever you are. The pain of Jesus turned into hope. The hope of the world.
Take the cup. The defeat, the loss, turned into a victory. The no turned into a yes. The redemption of the world. Let us stand. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your redemption, for your hope. The fact that you don't give up. Yeah, new year, new us, but same God, same God of grace, same God of love, same God of mercy. Father, we're thankful that you don't give up on us. You're still creating new life in us. You're still at work in us. And Father God, we thank you for the promise that you have given us, that the good work that you began in all of us, Father, you and you alone are bringing to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're turning our defeats into victories. You're turning our graves into gardens. You're turning the world's no into your yes. We thank you for what you're doing, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand and join us as we sing of the many victories and the great things that are still to come for us? I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. So let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. So let faith arise. Let all agree, there's no power like the power of Jesus. Come on, I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree, there's no power like his power. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain that he can't standing and as we uh, say all together in one voice our purpose statement here at Pathway. So the purpose of Pathway Church is to glorify God and share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And how shall we fulfill this purpose? By ministering to spiritual, emotional, and physical needs, by providing Christian relationships in the family of God and by providing the challenge for individual and collective spiritual growth. Amen. All right, thank y'all so much for being here with us this morning. Have a great week and we will see you next time.